Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast. My guest today is Craig Stanley. He's currently the group product line marketing manager and cloud economics expert for VMware. And prior to VMware, Craig was an important team member and analyst of my company, Alinean, and we first met and I got to know Craig when he was with Gartner as a senior director and a research VP. So I've known this guy for quite a long time. There are few who know more about how to assess and prove the value of cloud, the economics of cloud, than Craig. So welcome, Craig Stanley. Hey, it's uh, great to talk to you again, Tom. And uh, hey, thanks for having me on your call. Absolutely. So you and I have been working on cloud financial justification for ages as our gray hair will attest those on the podcast. Craig and I both have our sporting uh, salt and pepper. It's called experience. Um, exactly. Exactly. Well, tell me a little bit about that experience. So as we go back in time and we look at some of the original models for cloud, the economic models, what did customers want to know? What, what was their focus in um, moving to the cloud and kind of the value that they were seeking in the cloud? Well, Tom, I think early on, some of the, some of the concerns was uh, certainly cost. I think that was kind of one of the main drivers. And, you know, I think a lot of times that's always where you start. Cost is always a concern. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, looking at cost was one thing, but I think there was originally some more concerns around the performance of the cloud looking at things like the availability, uh, the performance, security, um, the ability to scale the workloads and so forth. So I think those were a lot of things that were really uh, maybe blockers ahead of cost to looking at cloud. And I think as cloud has evolved, become more mainstream, um, most customers are okay with those things. They, most, uh, most of those things have been taken care of. Mm-hmm. And so now they're kind of cycling back to the cost question. Awesome. And on the cost side, I know, you know, in the beginning, folks were looking at, okay, I've got all this on-premise equipment. It seems to be taking up a lot of space, a lot of power. They cost a lot just to install it. And then I have all these IT operations staff and administrators around to make sure it's all up and running and performing the way it should. I need a whole bunch of tools to help administer Mm -hmm. these devices and those tools, the performance, the monitoring tools were not inexpensive back in the day. So all of that was cost they were looking to take out, right? Why not just rent this stuff on a monthly basis as opposed to having all that cost? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really what we're looking at is going forward is looking at the TCO of on-prem versus the cloud. And in particular, I, I focus with the team that focuses on BMC on AWS. So <laughs> that's really what we look at. And we look at that, that TCO side and you're right. That's a bit of a challenge. You have to look at, um, you know, you look at all the costs you've got sunk. <laughs> you know, you've got your data center. So unless you have a compelling event coming up, meaning, Hey, we got to get out of this data center leases up for renewal. You know, those are some of the things you have to consider. But there's also some other advantages to being able to look at a, a newer scalable on demand uh, technology infrastructure that's available you know, through something through a public cloud or a BMC in this case. Absolutely. And that's, I think, where the justification has moved to, right? Looking a little bit at the risk of having that fixed infrastructure that a lot of times you over provision, right? Uh, You buy a lot more than you usually need of the storage and the network capacity and the compute power. Uh, Now you can right size it, right? You can buy just what you need and do that on an on-demand basis. So even though per unit you might 
maybe be spending a little bit more on the uh, rental of that, per, for lack of a better term, you're actually going to be able to save money because you don't have to over provision it. And then moreover, you've got the elasticity. Uh, so Correct. talk a little bit about some of these other factors that, that kind of come into play with regard to the business of being able to scale better, uh, meet seasonal demand, mm -hmm. and then also the business impact and growth aspects that you can also get from the cloud. Okay. Well, you've mentioned a couple of them already. One <clears throat> is obviously the ability to eliminate or reduce the number of hosts that you have on-prem, mm -hmm. uh, simply because of right-sizing, as you mentioned. Um, also, the ability that when you've got you know, or additional capacity that's available, available on demand, you can drive a higher burn rate, a higher utilization level. So you're able to run more work on this other equipment uh, you know, that you have in the cloud. Another thing people tend to forget about that we point out, and this is where we see a lot of savings as well, is I don't have to keep high availability equipment on prem. Uh, that's all equipment I have to have available in case uh, something fails or whatever, or uh, you know, I, uh, my application runs out of room or something, I've got to have this available to use. Even if I don't use it, but one week out of the year, I'm still have to pay for this. It's still powered up. Uh, it's still, I have to license it. I'm paying for that. I have to maintain it, support it. Uh, I'm burning up energy, mm -hmm. <laughs> maintaining this equipment. That's all things that go away when you look at a cloud solution, because just as you, as you mentioned, we can have the workload scaled to what our usual workload is, and then simply burst into the, uh, or scale out into the additional capacity as we need it. Mm -hmm. And then we pay for it only while we're using it. So that's, that's one major savings. Um, another one, as you mentioned, you know, is about some of the labor around supporting the hardware. And that's another, that's another benefit. It's not as much as what people think. Uh, it's, we've looked at a few models. We've looked at a lot of models. And you know, the biggest savings are the hardware savings. Hard, there's some savings in, in labor. We find that looking at the, the types of roles that support the physical servers and storage and the uh, the software associated with that, things around the the uh, the software, the SDDC, uh, mm -hmm. software-defined data center types of products, that about 70% of that workload can probably be can be reduced and hand, handled by, uh, in this case, VMC on AWS. Mm -hmm. So about 70% of that workload can be migrated over. And so what we're trying to do is not really present this as a well, you need less people. That's usually not ever a great argument, a great <laughs> statement to go in and make to uh, to the customer, especially if the customer you're talking to, is a person in the room, is one Someone of in that who, role. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I I know where they're coming from. Uh, so what we look at is we look at well, what are some of the things that the customer can do with this additional labor? Mm -hmm. um, we hear sometimes people say, well, hey, you can put those people into DevOps. Well, we all know the system admins probably they don't all they wouldn't all make great devops programmers mm -hmm. it's a different skill set mm -hmm. so what we look at is what are some things that are missing in our current uh, devops uh infrastructure or architecture uh, environment and one of the things we look at is you've got programmers who are writing code writing to to containers or to various uh you know interfaces within the systems and most of them really don't understand or don't know anything about the underlying architecture. Mm -hmm. And we're suggesting that those people are really good to team with DevOps to help develop code that is more efficient, more effective, more secure, et cetera. Mm 
And then that is actually one good place to redeploy that labor. Uh, and so you're, we suggest that you're taking them off of the KTLO operations, the keeping the lights on. Mm-hmm. They're the things that are important. We have to do them, but do they really provide any value to us? Sure. No. So, well, why, why do we keep doing that stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that reallocation of resources is important. And as we kind of come out of the crisis that we're in, I think it becomes really important because companies are looking at ways they could save money. Uh, perhaps uh, they're looking to do more with less resources. And if you could free up resources from doing, keeping the lights on, uh, that can potentially free them up. Do you see other changes that the crisis has caused kind of a relook at IT, the amount of spending and, and where they're looking for value in their organization? Um, yeah, definitely. Because I think a lot of customers who did not already have a footprint in the cloud are now kind of scrambling to get there with more and more people working from home. Um, being able to support virtual desktops and that sort of thing from, from home now. If you were already in the cloud, you were able to scale and expand. As if suddenly the demand for that, what, double, tripled, quadrupled mm-hmm. almost overnight? Uh, there's not too many IT organizations that were able to handle that sort of thing. Yep. So, so I think that's, that's a key piece as well. And, and, and again, you know, we're seeing that um, you know, you know, cutting expenses is, is, is an important thing right now. I mean, that's something that's on top of mind and reducing costs where we can, I think is, uh, is uh, really top of mind for what we're seeing in our customers. Yeah, but you're seeing a lot of the investment being driven by this digital transformation or you know, work from home kind of strategy where cloud is just a, a better answer to be able to handle these changing environments and changing workloads where on-prem just isn't an option when you can't even get access to the building and the data center. Correct, yes. Yeah, definitely. So at VMware, and I know before this, you've been involved in many, many uh, projects where you've built models and you've launched uh, these models out to the different sales teams to help sellers and partners engage customers in a different way, right? Engage them with a total cost of ownership assessment or a value assessment. Um, Tell us a little bit about some of those tools that you've developed and launched. Okay. Well, I've been with uh, VMware for about nine years now. So I've gone through a gauntlet of different kinds of tools and things. Uh, Early on, I started with uh, something called Move the Needle, which was really sort of a lead generation type of a tool. Hmm. So we took some basic information and kind of looked at, you know, what does it take to move the needle to to where the customer needs to be? So I developed some of those. Uh, Probably the biggest one I just completed uh, up until a couple of years ago was our... uh, really a full-fledged benchmarking uh, product. And it was our TAM uh, CMA customer maturity assessment. Uh, and that was delivered by all of our TAMs to customers. And it was a you know, maturity looking at uh, applications, uh, servers, storage, cloud, cloud maturity and best practices and so forth. That actually, uh, we were able to leverage that and generate a twice a year, 800 page research document from wow. the data we were collecting with that. Um, so those were some of the ones we, we did, uh, did in the past. You know, going forward, though, I'm working more with the sales and marketing tools. Our, our current TCO models around uh, VMC on AWS, for example, is really a tool that we use to help customers understand what are the economics between choices, between business as usual with your on-prem mm-hmm. and a cloud solution such as VMC. And we also do comparisons with uh, public cloud native. Awesome. So 
in the in the beginning, as you said, it was tools to kind of help engage earlier in the sales cycle, right? Get get customers to understand where they were and potentially what gaps they might have and where you could take them. And then later on, it looks like you're, you know, the customers already decided they want to go with VMware and now it's an option of, okay, where do I host this and what makes the most sense, correct? Well, not necessarily in this case. I mean, some customers are, are on that path. Uh, generally where we use this type of model from is when we're talking to customers and they say, I don't need to look at VMC on AWS because it's more expensive. Hmm. And so that's where we bring this model in because we are able to show in about 80% of the use cases that we've come across that VMC on AWS is less expensive hmm. than the comparable on-prem environment. Yep. And I do like the fact that we have about 20%, usually heavily storage involved environments where we say, maybe we can't save money with this solution mm -hmm. because to me, that's part of the integrity and honesty of the process. Um, and it goes back to how we run these models as well. It's fully transparent. We, uh, we show all the assumptions we're using and those are all adjustable. Mm -hmm. But the idea is we really wanna show the customer, help give them more information to, to, to not just discount this idea, but let's take a look at it and see what it really looks like in terms of the cost. And the same thing we do with uh, public cloud native as well. We look at the cost of public cloud, but then we factor in what we call blind spots. We factor in what's the cost of rehosting or refactoring to move your applications over because the solution we're suggesting is simply a, a V motion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got to have a hybrid cloud. It's V motion from on-prem to your cloud or back. Yep. Uh, there's no refactoring. There's no rehosting needs to be done. Skilling, retraining. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to retrain people to do the rehosting re and refactoring. And not only is it is a cost associated with doing that, but the, simply the ability to even find people, enough people to do that, I'm finding is a challenge. And then we look at lock-in. Is lock-in a concern for you? I mean, if you move your workloads uh, and refactor or rehost uh, to a particular cloud provider, mm -hmm. are you locking yourself into their ecosystem to where you cannot easily move your workloads to a different cloud provider or even back on-prem? So those are the main things we look at that we factor into that part of the analysis. And it's really about trying to make sure that we provide all the information, uh, information our customer needs to really make an informed decision. Yeah, one of the things I like about how you're describing the tool is there's a story to be told. And I think one of the things that you're using the model and the tool and the numbers to do is to convey that story, right? So there's a story around lock-in. There's a story about these hidden costs that you might not have thought about with regard to refactoring. So how do you feel about, you know, we always know that the financial justification and the numbers are important, but they don't always drive the decision that the story sometimes is more important overall. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I feel that you have to have a story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you just throw up a slide with a bunch of numbers, uh, you know, it's like, a, you know, a comedian might say, you know, this story ain't gonna tell itself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so, so, so let's put the information up there, but tell it in a way that is meaningful to the customer. You know, some of the things I try to do with our presentations are, you know, you know, keep, keep the message simple, keep it high level. Uh, make sure you, that you tell a story. I mean, the audience has to care about what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so some questions I ask when we're, we're putting these together is, you know, does what I'm saying matter to them? Mm -hmm. You know, is it engaging? 
And most importantly, does it tell them something they didn't already know, or does it help them confirm something they did know? Mm -hmm. If it doesn't answer, check, check those boxes, did I just waste their time? Yeah. Yeah. For example, do they care about lock-in? Do they care about replatforming? Or do they have a group that, you know what, they're paying that group anyway. They can just assign the resources and not, not really care about it much. For other groups, once you bring up something like lock-in, which might have been a hidden issue that they didn't know about, or the replatforming, the rehosting, um, that could be a game changer for them and you've revealed that and all of a sudden they're seeing you in a different light. You've emotionally awoken their uh, field of view, uh, their perspective, and they're connected with you. And then the numbers are there just to help you to reinforce and tell that story. So I, I completely right. agree. I, I always say, you, you know, you've got to have a story and then the numbers are only there to support that story and to amplify it, but they won't make the story on their own because, hey, 650% ROI, Craig, isn't that good? Well, I don't know. It depends. How'd you calculate that? <laughs> exactly. What, is, is what does it mean? A number. a number is just a number. Exactly. And we have to remember that even though we are, you know, I'm the ROI guy. So obviously ROI is important. It's the value and the value story that gets conveyed. It's yeah. not necessarily that number. That and, and I think matters. part of the, part of the telling the story is uh, generating trust. Mm-hmm. You know, do I trust your numbers? Do I trust what you're telling me? And if I'm telling you a story that's engaging and involving the customer as part of it, you start to involve and you start to, you know, acquire some of that trust. Yeah. Uh, they can see that, themselves in that. Yeah. yeah and that you've taken the time on it. I do agree too that it is about creating a different experience for the buyer through this process. So as we engage them with the tools, as we develop the report, as we get them to be engaged and involved in the story, um, it's a different engagement than what it would be if we just um, engage with them on the product and the features and uh, the benefit of those features. But if we're creating a business case and using that uh, value assessment and using it to tell a story, we're altering the experience that they're having and making sure that we're very focused on uh, the value and delivering outcomes to them, not just about pitching a product. Want to talk to that a little bit? Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, you know, part of the analysis we do is looking at, uh, you know, driving toward those outcomes. Part of it is talking to the customer, understanding, as I mentioned, what's important to the customer. Mm -hmm. What outcomes are they looking for? And then make sure that we, we develop a message that helps support that particular, uh, that outcome or the other outcomes that they are interested in. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think just giving somebody numbers and saying you can, you can say all this, but is not quite enough. I think you have to sort of show them, you can't just say the vision is out there. Mm -hmm. I think you have to paint the picture. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to create the sound of the sizzle and the steak mm -hmm. while you're telling the story. That's what's going to, that's what brings them in. And I think that's part of what the outcomes are is the outcome is, Hey, I'm hungry. So let me tell you all the things about <laughs> this that make you focus on here's how you can solve that. Satisfy that hunger. Yeah. Satisfy that need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Now, all of this makes great sense. We're in a time where a lot of customers' budgets are getting locked down. Um, the CIO, the IT executive is gonna need to justify any solution that they're proposing up to the executive committee, to finance, to procurement. Financial justification is more important than ever. But unfortunately, one of the big challenges we face with tools like this is getting sellers to adopt and use it 
even though the customers desperately need this kind of analysis, advice, and experience. Um, talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you've personally faced in scaling some of these programs out to the sales community and to the VMware's partners. Well, in, in terms of the TCO tools that, that we're developing, as I mentioned, for VMC on AWS, uh, we're not really having a whole lot of pushback because everyone's Good. very eager to get tools that help them tell this story. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we you, you want to keep it simple and high level, and that's what we try to do with this message. So, so we actually have, you know, people coming to us saying, hey, can we use this tool? In fact, we are, we're trying to help work with our, uh, so we, we're using the, the Mediafly model really to help push that out for our partners and other people to, to use <laughs> to help understand the economics and tell the story. Awesome. Awesome. So good to hear that, you know, they're, they're seeing the need. They know customers are asking for it and that they're adopting it. Did you find the same thing with the assessment tools and the outreach tools as well on some of the earlier developments that you had where those were well adopted or were those self-service that you just put on the web and you had customers access it directly? Or was it a combination of both between sellers, partners, and customers? I think it's sort of sort of varied. I mean, the assessments were in some ways a little bit of a harder sell uh, because when you're looking at an assessment that really, if you really want to do a good job of your ROI, then you have to have some good understanding of the cost, right? Mm -hmm. The before cost and the after cost and so forth. And what I discovered is back when I used to work for Gartner, I could ask customers to tell me all their costs and they would just tell me everything. Mm -hmm. Now that I work for a vendor, they don't want to tell me their cost. Yeah. Because they think it's going to be used against them, held held against yeah, them. I don't need to know. Law. I don't know. I don't <laughs> you need, need to, to read them the Miranda rights, Craig, before you uh, you get any of the information. Right. And then so, they'll plead the fifth. Exactly. So what we have to do is we have to look at a methodology where we make some assumptions that are pretty close to what their real costs are, but they don't have mm -hmm. to confirm it. Yeah. So that's the process we would go through to do that. Um, I think sometimes with some of the benchmarks originally, some of the customers were like, uh, this just looks like another survey. I don't see what this is, the value is gonna be to me for doing this. And I think that's important is really, you know, it goes back to driving what's the value back to the customer. And mm -hmm. so after we produced it, we were able to come back and show, here's some information about your environment. Here's how it looks compared to other people in your industry. And I think that's where the benchmarking side comes from. But I think it, it goes back to, is it worth my time to provide <laughs> you this information? Uh, again, you know, the final point I was making, you know, is this going to tell me something I didn't already know or confirm something I knew that I yep. need to be able to explain and confirm to someone else? So a couple of things to unpack in that, Craig. One is make sure that your customer is going to see the clear distinguishing value of the exercise that you're going to take them through. And then the other is um, create a pro forma, create an estimate for them using the benchmark so they can see the value that they can get. And a lot of times what I find is that they'll run with the pro forma because it's close enough for the justification that they need to provide to tell the story. Right. And it says, I kind of look at it like the old, the old, uh, Fable or the uh, the children's story about the rock soup. Mm -hmm. If you remember that story, about how they, the woman wants to make a pot of soup for the for the community and she has nothing to put in it and nobody wants to give her anything and so she just starts a pot of boiling water and puts rocks in it and people come and wonder what she's doing so I'm making soup. And somebody says, well, you know, I got a couple of carrots I could put in there. Mm -hmm. I got a couple of potatoes I could put in there. And before long, you've got <laughs> you've got the soup. Yeah. So what? The analogy is, yeah, we start with the pro forma and we say, okay, well, you don't want to provide your information. That's fine. We get it. That's not a problem. Let's just take a look at what's typical for the industry. And then you'll find 
because we can tweak the assumptions and adjustments, you'll find that people will say, well, you know, what if you change this one just a little bit to this number, or change this one to this number? Mm -hmm. And the end result is we're not trying to just get data from a customer. We want to come up with a, 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 you know, a plan, a business plan and a solution that is as closely appropriate to the customer's environment as we can get. You know, our goal is to make sure that we're providing you with all the information you need to be able to support your own business justification case. Yep. Were there any other challenges that you had with having the, the models and the tools be successful? Um, I think the only challenge with having the models being successful, again, is just the adoption in terms of you know, internal and external. As I mentioned, you had sometimes customers saying, well, I don't see the value of this. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you had the sales teams or the people that were driving saying, hey, I don't see the value in this. Um, I found that the, the people we worked with that were heavily customer focused and, and really invested in what the customer's business was, mm -hmm. they tended to see the value of the tools and push them and then the customers were very, saw the value and were happy Receptive, with them. Others that had maybe too many customers uh, that they were dealing with or really not a, a personal investment in the relationship with the customer didn't seem, seem uh, to, uh, to push it as, as much. Yeah, and that's kind of a category I like to label as transactional. You know, could be the customer was transactional. They just, hey, I just wanna buy this, like get out of my way, right. you know, no friction just, and then same thing on the sales side. You know, it's like how many would you like to buy? Um, and they're not about the outcomes. They're not about the value ultimately. And so, you know, in those deals, maybe you don't need the tools. You don't need the justification. You don't need to go to value. Uh, but certainly enough were there that needed that and were focused on the customer value on both sides of the equation. So it was good that you uh, you were able to develop and deliver those to the team. What, um, what are some of the outcomes that you were able to to generate. So, you know, you mentioned move the needle before. So you've invested a lot of your own personal time and effort and blood, sweat and tears into these tools, launching them out to the sales teams, launching them out to the partners. Have you moved the needle with them at VMware and kind of what were some of the big, big results that you could maybe point to? Oh, I don't mean to put absolutely. you on the spot, by the way. <laughs> oh, no, 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 absolutely. There's, there's been a lot of cases, uh, a couple of cases, uh, uh, recently with uh, the latest addition to our TCO model, which is our blind spots analysis. And uh, I kind of talked a little bit about that. It, it's, it's an analysis that looks at VMC on AWS versus going public cloud native. It factors in, makes estimations for rehosting, refactoring, retraining, and so uh, th those kinds of things. But one of the really powerful things about it is we count the value of time. We calculate how long will it take to move your workloads based on one solution versus the other solution. Mm -hmm. And the time differential is staggering in some mm -hmm. cases. And then we also calculate what is the value of that time. So for example, we have, we have a basic analysis where maybe it would take a month or two to move these, you know, say a thousand workloads, thousand VMs with uh, VMC on AWS, but it takes three years to move them with it uh, to a public cloud. Wow. And what we can then do is, as I mentioned earlier, like uh, if there's a compelling event, like a customer says, well, it's gonna take three years, but our lease is up in nine months. Yeah. Uh, we actually have the ability in our models to enter, what's my end date, nine months, and it will recalculate 
and say, okay, to achieve that, you need to hire so many resources, yeah. people. Mm -hmm. And it's going to cost X millions of dollars more to, to move this needle back down to this time frame where, where you want it. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's some of the more powerful things we're doing with this model. Specifically, we did have a couple of, uh, a couple of customers that we talked with that had already decided we're going to go public cloud. That's we're going to refactor, rehost, go public cloud. That's the cheapest solution out there. That's cheaper than uh, VMC. Mm -hmm. So we said, well, hey, let's get your let's sit down and run your analysis and just take a look and see what it comes up with. And so both customers, we sat down, we ran the numbers. I spent an hour with one set of engineers tweaking all of our assumptions. All the dials, yep. And at the end of an hour, it still showed it was more expensive to go public cloud than VMC. And both of these customers, the next step in the meeting was, okay, we need to go back and rethink the public cloud. Mm -hmm. That's the type of goal we're trying to get to is to get people to really make the right decisions mm -hmm. uh, based on the workloads and the situation. Now, you know, is moving everything to VMC the right solution for every workload? Well, no, we don't say that it is. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's part of the solution and it's not all one or the other, it's a mix in terms of solutions. Absolutely. So what's the one piece of advice you want to leave our evolvers with today, Craig? I would say never forget who the customer or the audience is. Mm -hmm. And remember that the story has to be important to them to be engaging and compelling. Awesome. Great advice. Craig Stanley, Group Product Line Marketing Manager and Cloud Economics Expert for VMware and a uh, longtime collaborator on different uh, value models and cloud economics models, Craig. Pleasure to see you again and talk to you. And thank you so much for agreeing to participate with our Evolvers today. Likewise, thanks Tom for having me on your program.